If you're a Southerner, then you have found the right spot on your radio or podcast dial. We are the show all about the South. This is the Y'all Show. Thank you for taking time to listen to us on great radio stations and on great podcast options all across the universe. John Rawl is my name. I'm the general of all things Southern, and I am ready to show off my generalship here on today's show, and we're going to have what a variety we got planned out here on this Tuesday edition. We've got headlines from across the Southeast, and we'll be getting into those headlines momentarily. We've got sports news, college news, college sports news, all that, especially with college football up and going big time. I just had an epiphany. We are now entering the second quarter of college football this weekend. We've already had three weeks in the books. So we've got that going on. Speaking of college football, later this hour, it's our first ACC update of 2021's fall calendar. And we're going to let you know about the Atlantic Coast Conference. They took it on the big chin in many ways this past week. It was not a good week for the Atlantic Coast Conference on the gridiron. One of the teams that took it on the big chin, the Miami Hurricanes. We're going to hear from their head coach, Manny Diaz, as he spoke to the media earlier this week as he is trying to get his team regrouped and refocused and try to make the most of this one-and-two start that the U currently has. Manny Diaz, we've got him coming on. We've got some information on the Clemson Tigers that we'll be passing along. All that is part of our ACC update, and as well, we'll look toward this weekend's action on the gridiron. We've got the renewal of the Textile Bowl going down at Carter-Finley this weekend we'll let you know all about that in our acc update before hour one is in a nice case and put away we're going to have the southern political report coming up here today the supreme court looking at taking on a mississippi ruling a, a case out of the magnolia state and it could affect roe versus wade we will talk about that in our political report later this hour Hour two, headlines from the entertainment world will be shared. And did you realize one of the big winners at this week's Grammy Awards was a Southern girl? Or is it a Southern boy? Or is it both? In fact, this is the original most famous person that kind of goes both ways. Did you realize RuPaul is a Georgia person, (laughs) a person born outside of the South, but ended up living in the Peach State for quite some time. And we're going to talk about RuPaul, and we're going to talk about RuPaul's big success here in the last few days as RuPaul had a Emmy history-making night 11 wins, become the first person of color to have that many awards. Rue Paul Andre Charles. We'll have all that coming up in our spotlight of the entertainment world. Plus, we'll tell you about the other winners. Rue Paul was not the only one. And we'll talk about how there is a hashtag trending. You knew this would be coming. Emmys, 
so white. They are complaining about all the white winners at the Emmy Awards, although blacks were and people of color were nominated in various categories. Many of the presenters were minorities. And I have my own thinking. I have my own justification. And I'm not happy about the justification. And it has to do with us versus them. And I'll explain that. you got to make sure you stick around for the entertainment report when I go off on them. <laughs> and you know what? It's actually not even a racial thing. And you'll just have to stick around. This is a story from Sunday in the NFL. Did you see what the Baltimore Ravens did? They honored actor Michael K. Williams. We recently lost the wire actor, and the Ravens did something pretty cool before their Sunday night football game against the Kansas City Chiefs. We got that coming up, hour number two. We also have coming up in hour number two an update on Major League Baseball and the wild card race. Believe it or not, Major League Baseball season is quickly winding down. Less than two weeks now left in the regular season. And we've got some thoughts on the wild card race of Major League Baseball coming up in hour number two. Also in hour number two, I went to Hardee's for the first time in a, in a while. I, I don't want to let y'all live all that vicarious through me. But we in the South are blessed for the most part to have Hardee's. Some of you might have Carl's Jr. But Hardee's is most of the South. I think that's a fair statement to be made. And in a celebration of Hardee's, I'm going to tell you more about this North Carolina-founded company. And I will also let you know about their biscuits. And did you realize one of their big franchisees has a big competition each year? And we've got audio coming from Virginia of the latest Hardee's biscuit-making winner. All this is part of our Southern Business Spotlight, and it's coming to you hour number two also in that hour we will have an update on y'all.com and what's going on there with that so with all that in mind that's just your first two hours then you got a whole nother hour of the y'all show coming up today and that includes more headlines that includes this is going to be a lot of fun to tell you about this but i really don't want to tell you this is a catch 23 and I know it's normally 22. It's a catch 23 because Travel and Leisure has just put out an article the 10 best small towns to retire in the United States. And a whole heap and helping of these are in Dixie. And I hate to tell you where these are because you know what that's going to do? It's going to bring more attention to these great towns that are in the South. And all these people are going to be moving. And it won't be just the Northern Americans. A lot of us Southern Americans are looking for a good place to go spend our golden years. And so I'm sorry if you're in one of these towns that I'm going to be mentioning. It's travel and leisure. Blame them. Don't blame y'all. They're the ones that came out with the 10 best small towns to retire in the United States. And I'm going to be sharing with you the Southern representatives in that list. Also, in our final hour today, Melissa Rhodes has her Southern accent on arts and entertainment. That plus your calls and text welcome at 803-816-1170. All that right here on the show about the Southeast, y'all.com. And again, we are powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. And we want you to know that if you go there, you can find the podcast options of this show. It's absolutely free for you to 
check us out. Just go there, and you'll see y'all show on y'all.com, and our podcast options are there. And if that's not kind of fancy enough for you, if you got your fancy pants on and you're looking for something more spectacular than y'all.com, and I don't know why, but there are other podcast options of the Y'all Show. We're on the TuneIn Radio app. We're on the iHeart app. We're on Apple Podcast. We're on Spotify, and we're on Stitcher. And I know it's easy to find. I was at a meeting Thursday of last week. I was actually the featured speaker at a meeting, and I enjoyed doing that. Thank you for the invitation there. And one of the folks in the audience heard me just mention one time about how I have this talk show, and it's available in podcasts. Well, he was a Spotify guy, and he came up to me after I got finished running my mouth and said, look, I'm going to listen to your show as soon as I get out in the car. So I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you who've taken the time, again, to just kind of do the simple thing. Whatever floats your podcast boat, go and check out the Y'all Show, and I think you'll like it. And please do me a favor. Can I ask favors? Please do me a small favor. Thank you, first of all, for listening. But if you like it, and I think you will, please do me the favor of sharing it and talking about it with a whole bunch of other people. we got to get this thing big time up and going because here on this show we are south centric and because of that i don't waste your time and i don't waste my time giving you the same junk that all these national outlets are giving you all day long you got to be going crazy with some of the stories they deem to be newsworthy none of these national outlets are going to be finding the interesting fun stuff from your part of the world and if they did find it they're going to probably bash the South while in the process of telling you about it. And none of these outlets, I don't think, nationwide outlets, worldwide outlets that are so-called news outlets, have a sense of humor. (laughs) And so we think we've got a little bit of a sense of humor on the Y'all Show, and that's why we need y'all to not only you yourself make an effort to listen to us on great stations across the Southeast, to listen to us on our great podcast options, But I really need y'all to help me out and just get on social media and tell people about y'all.com and the y'all show and also to tell people when you're sitting there, let's say, what are people doing a lot these days? Hmm. Maybe you're in the car rider line at school and you have a couple of minutes before little Janie or little Johnny come out to the car. Tell everybody that you talk to. I know you talk to your people there in the car rider line. Tell them about y'all. I'd appreciate it if you do that. If you're somebody who's, let's say, a little bit older than having kids that you have to go pick up from school each day, let's say you're someone in hmm, maybe your latter stages of work. You might be someone who goes to Rotary, for example, each week. I think the Y'all Show is worthy of you getting up in front of the local Rotary and telling them, hey, y'all need to listen to y'all. I think that would be a great thing. Of course, for our folks already in their golden years, thank you so much for what you've done in life. But when you're getting ready to go out to the bridge club, whatever that's called, to play bridge, tell everybody at your table, hey, y'all, John Rawl, that boy – he might be on to something. Yeah, we'd appreciate if you do that. Okay, so forgive me for my self selfless promotion of what we're all about, but that's what you got to do. Because if 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 y'all ain't promoting y'all, I don't know who is. Let's get into our news headlines today. 
I saw this come out on Monday, and it was an alarming headline. COVID has killed about as many Americans as the 1918-1919 Spanish influenza outbreak. That flu outbreak of that time period of World War I killed approximately 675,000 Americans. It actually took the life of my son's great-great-grandfather. I know so because I knew his great-grandmother quite well. She was born in 1918, and her daddy died of the Spanish flu about two months before she was born. And so that woman who lived until she was about 95 years old had a direct connection to that first epidemic this country, I think, has ever seen, the Spanish flu. Although there were yellow fever outbreaks back in the 19th century, but the 20th century's Spanish flu was extremely lethal. 675,000 Americans dying of that. And now we're at that same stage and going to go over it with COVID-19. Oh, man, it's terrible. A medical historian at the University of Michigan, Dr. Howard Markle, said big pockets of American society and worse, their leaders have thrown this away as the coronavirus may never entirely disappear from our midst, according to many. Scientists hope it becomes a mild seasonal bug as human immunity strengthens through vaccination and repeated infection. That could take time. What a horrible, horrible thing we've had to put up with for over a year and a half. And this is, of course, taking the whole world by storm, sadly. The Delta-fueled surge of infections, it looks like, could be coming to a peak. I hope it has. Right now, deaths in this country running at over 1,900 a day on average. And that's the highest level since early March of 2021. 675,000 Americans now have died of COVID-19. Now, that 1918-19 Spanish influenza outbreak killed 50 million victims across the world. And there's even some who believe that thing got started not at a lab in Wuhan, China. There is talk that that thing started around Leavenworth in, in Kansas. There's, that's part of the speculation. I don't think anybody knows for sure where the 1918-1919 outbreak happened. But how about that? That one was contained to essentially being a major problem for two years. We're pushing two years already. It'll be here real soon on COVID-19's effect on the world and unfortunately more and more lives being lost. And the headline again, we have now caught up with that awful Spanish influenza outbreak and its death toll in this country. Another COVID-19 story that was released in the last few hours, Pfizer saying that the COVID-19 vaccine that that company has, it works in kids ages 5 to 11. And that is big news because thus far we have not seen a vaccine available for children 11 and under. But Monday, Pfizer saying that this vaccine works for that age group ages 5 to 11. And it will seek authorization in this country for that age group 
very soon, and that is a key step toward beginning vaccinations for youngsters. Now, the vaccine made by Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, is already available for anyone 12 and older, but with kids now back in school and this Delta variant really just spreading throughout the entire world, you've had a huge jump in pediatric infections. Many parents are anxiously awaiting vaccinations that are available for those younger kids. And a lot of those younger kids have already gotten the COVID. They've already got it. And they've had to miss school for a couple of weeks. I'm sure some of them have died as a result of catching COVID when they could not get the vaccine available for them. Pfizer has tested a lower dose of their vaccine. It's about a third of the amount that's in each shot given now. After, according to their research of elementary school kids, after their second dose, children ages 5 to 11 develop coronavirus-fighting antibody levels just as strong as teenagers and young adults getting the regular strength shots. That according to a senior VP with that company, Dr. Bill Gruber. The kids' dosage already has proven safe with similar or very few temporary side effects, such as sore arms, fever, or achiness. That the story coming out of this Pfizer vaccine, which I hope it's available sooner than later because a lot of parents for sure have in some ways kept their kids out of school because they don't want them getting the coronavirus. And we hope this is something available sooner than later. Continuing on with the headlines across the southeast, sad news out of Houston, Texas. A veteran police officer has been killed in the line of duty, and this officer was among two officers going to serve a narcotics warrant, and William Bill Jeffrey, who was just shy of 31 years of service in Houston, killed. Killed there on Monday during this narcotics search that was going on his partner last report i got believed to be in stable condition as that partner sergeant michael vance who's been a 20-year member of the houston narcotics drug force both were part of the houston police department and gunned down there in houston on monday our thoughts with the houston police department and as well as all those involved with law enforcement in Harris County, Texas. We remember this 31-year veteran of law enforcement of the Houston Police Department, and that would be William Bill Jeffrey, killed on Monday. New Orleans residents, they are fighting back, protesting against their garbage not being picked up because of Hurricane Ida, Residents of the Big Easy have now held a trash parade protest after their trash has not been picked up for three weeks. Many residents say their household trash is just sitting there, and it is awful. And I bet it is awful there. And, of course, Ida came at a horrible time. You got COVID going on. You got people not working and working in any kind of job like this where you've got a – tough job in itself being a sanitation worker lends itself for people not showing up to work and more and now again in new orleans fighting back with a trash parade protest and i've seen some of the pictures people are wearing uh, their trash literally on their sleeve 
and I don't know what they're going to end up doing. The city wants your cash, not your trash. That's one of the signs that I saw being held up. One parade goer, Julia Marshall, said, it's like living in a third world country. Pay the workers, give them benefits. They're the backbone of civil society. Well, I I guess that's one angle to take, but right now I know that in the Big Easy, they ain't taking it anymore. They want their garbage picked up. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody get that garbage out of New Orleans. And then when they get that garbage out, there's probably a lot of people cheering for the other kind of garbage found in the Crescent City of New Orleans to also be picked up soon because that is a a big problem that a lot of people have with New Orleans is uh, the other form of trash that you'll find when you go down to New Orleans. We are Y'all Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. We'll come right back after this. When we come back, we've got to look at some sports headlines going on across the region. And don't forget that before the show, this first hour is up, we've got an ACC spotlight, and you'll hear from the U's head coach, Manny Diaz. All that right here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Texting 64,000, you agree to receive recurring automated marketing messages from Babbel. Message and data rates may apply. No purchase required. Terms apply. Available at babbel.com slash TNC. Have you tried learning a new language, but it never seems to stick? That's because there's more to language than learning vocab words. Babbel is different. Babbel's multiple ways to learn helps you explore every aspect of a new language. Anytime, right from your phone or computer. Practice real-life conversations in the Babbel app. ¿Cómo te llamas? ¿Cómo te llamas? Get personalized help from an instructor in Babbel's live online classes. Classes are limited to six people. We keep them small so everyone can get the help and practice they need. Review words and phrases with fun games. Or dive into the culture with short videos. Whatever your learning motivation, Babbel gives you the tools you'll need to explore your new language. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. More ways to explore. More ways to learn. Text Babbel to 64000 to start learning a new language today. Text Babbel to 64000. B-A-B-B-E-L to 64000. We are continuing on with Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern, and let's take a look at some Southern sports headlines here in this first hour of Talk About the South. LSU defensive end Andre Anthony is going to miss the rest of the season with a knee injury. Ron told reporters this on Monday. He got the injury during the Bayou Bengals win over Central Michigan at Death Valley this past weekend. Andre Anthony ranked second on the LSU football team 
with three and a half sacks. In the first quarter of that game against the Chippewas, Anthony recovered a fumble and returned it for a touchdown. A sixth-year senior, he was a key piece of the LSU defense with four tackles for loss through the first three games. LSU has also been without defensive lineman Ali Gay, who missed Saturday's game with a minor injury. LSU's going to need all of their horses that they can get in the stable when they get to Starkville. They've got a game at Mississippi State on Saturday. Elsewhere in the news of college football, I'm going to take you to something that's not so newsworthy, but I thought it was pretty cool coming from Stephen A. Smith, the ESPN host, who generally we don't talk about here on this y'all show because Stephen A., he really should go work for the NBA Network based on all the love he gives the association throughout the year. But for whatever reason, Stephen A. Smith had college football on his mind here this week, and he's got the SEC on his mind in the last few days, and he had to weigh in on the Florida at and, and the Florida-Alabama game that was held in the swamp this past weekend. A great game, a great win for Alabama, and a great effort by the Florida Gators. Well, on Friday, going into that game, the great Tim Tebow, Heisman Trophy winning Florida quarterback of the 2000s, he and Stephen a. Smith made a friendly wager, and it was so great to get the reaction of Mr. Smith after the Gators were rather impressive in that win or in that loss, but they won the bet. <laughs> so they're kind of winners after all. And here is a clip from ESPN on Monday of Stephen A. talking about his friendly wager with Tim Tebow. I got you losing by a minimum of three touchdowns. A minimum of three touchdowns. It's going to be a blowout. It's going to be a blowout. And I'm betting you right now it's going to be a blowout. You can bet the house on it, baby. It ain't going to even be close. So, so if, if, if Florida is closer than that, how about next Friday you rock a gator tie? Rock a gator tie? Done. Uh, I got a serious problem. I got a serious problem. You know all about my suit game. You do know about my suit game, my style, about all the time I spend making sure I'm pretty much the most dapper man on television. You see it every day. Don't act like you don't know. But now I got to go out there and wear a Florida Gators tie, an orange and blue tie with a damn cartoon alligator on it. So I ain't happy, damn it. I ain't happy about it at all. But I'll do it. I'll do it because I'm a man of my word. Because I was wrong. Alabama did beat Tebow's Gators on Saturday. But it wasn't the annihilation I predicted. Florida didn't just keep it within three touchdowns. They kept it within three points. 31 and 29. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Florida was actually the better team from the second quarter on, outscoring Alabama 26 to 10. As good as Alabama is, they ain't perfect. This college football season isn't decided just yet. Bama does have some contenders. Florida proved that. Bama could have run the ball. No running game whatsoever. 
And it couldn't stop Florida's run game either. The Gators put up 240, 45 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. <sighs> Alabama has a lot to work on. And you know Nick Saban is excited about that. He gets to be furious at his team. And for once, he has something to actually be angry about. A legitimate reason. But guess what? I'm pretty ticked too. Because I've got to wear a Florida Gators tie on national television. I mean, damn. <laughs> all right. Stephen A. Smith, all your complaints need to go to ESPN, the four-letter word for his profanity. But I thought that was pretty funny. And how about them having some fun talking about the South's greatest pastime, college football, there on the four-letter network. And I can't wait to tune in Friday to see Stephen A. Smith wearing a orange and blue necktie in honor of the effort, not the win, the effort that the Gators had against the Florida or against the Alabama Crimson Tide this weekend. And you know what? Tim Tebow and or any of you Gator fans out there, I would love to wear a Florida Gators tie. I think orange and blue is a nice color combination. I am not a Florida Gator fan, but I'm not a Gator hater. And I think Florida's got one of the coolest logos and mascots going in college football. And they're a great representative of the Southeastern Conference. The University of Florida is a great Southern institution. And go Gators. Good job. And I didn't necessarily like Dan Mullen when he was in Starkville. I thought he was too cocky. But now I'm all for Dan Mullen. I think he's a great coach. And I know he's a great coach because I saw what he did in Starkville and build up that program to literally be the number one college football team at one point. And now he's got the Gators likely hmm, – Going to give the Georgia Bulldogs all they can handle in a couple of weeks at the cocktail party. And if the stars align in the swamp, you might just see the Gators beating them dogs. And you just might see the Gators getting the wish of Dan Mullen. And that is a rematch with the Crimson Tide. Oh, early December at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. (laughs) Don't we love our college football Oh, it's just so great Great to be back. Now, let's give you an update on the Crimson Tide as they did get that victory over Florida. But Stephen A. kind of hinted about it for a second there. And until he brought it up, I had no idea about the way this game ended up playing out. The Tide, extremely lucky to escape Florida Field with the win. Yeah, they were up 21-3 at the end of the first quarter. But as Mr. Smith so eloquently outlined the Gators dominated the other three quarters. Alabama put 10 points up on the board the rest of the way. 26 points went up on the home side in quarters two, three, and four. Emory Jones just couldn't buy a yard in the first half or first quarter more, and he looked good most of the rest of the game. Great running game. The Crimson Tide seemed to just not have an answer in most cases. And if you look at the complete box score for this game, Alabama's passing. They put Young passed for 240 yards. He did pass for three touchdowns, most of that, of course, early in the game. 
and Emory Jones, his passing game, 195 through an interception. But it was that ground game. As the Gators with Jones, he had 77 yards of his own. Davis amassed 86 yards in this one. And the Gators did just great in so many different offensive statistics. And then defensively, what they were able to do in quarters two, three, and four, shutting down essentially Alabama and keeping this game within reach, was a. if you're a Gator fan, you have nothing to hide your head about at all. And Florida should be able to bounce back from this without too much of a concern about their future. Two and one, did not go up or down in the polls. And now with the Tennessee Vols coming into the Swamp, This should be a rather easy matchup for UF against UT. Then they've got Kentucky on the road, and then Vanderbilt, LSU, Georgia, that game October 30th. So between now and the end of October, their toughest challenges for sure will be Georgia. We can say that LSU game October 16th is going to be rather tough. And then I would put Kentucky. We're going to learn a lot more about UK after their game this week in Williams-Brice Stadium. But, yeah, the stats, rather impressive, at least for quarters two, three, and four, if you're a Florida Gator. Now to the NFL, the head coach of the Houston Texans is David Culley, and he says that according to himself and the rest of the Texans' higher-ups, Deshaun Watson won't be active for the game Thursday night. And it looks like Tyrod Taylor ruled out as well. So the snaps for the Texans will go to rookie Davis Mills, who is from Stanford. And he ended up starting the second half of the Texans game at Cleveland, a game that the Texans were in for the most part and maybe could have won that game there in Cleveland this past weekend. But yes, Cully said that Taylor told him that he was okay in that game on Sunday and wanted to go back, but the coach wanted to make sure the injury wouldn't get worse. But from what I'm understanding, he is out, and your starter for the Texans on this Thursday night. That's the problem here. I think Tyrod Taylor might be able to play if this were a Sunday, traditional Sunday game for Houston. But with a Thursday game, they've got the Carolina Panthers coming in for a a Thursday night game here this week. And I don't think the Texans are going to be all that great in this one. Now, Mills did finish 8 of 18 in the game Sunday, passed for 102 yards, but it was a 10-point loss. And now Houston is 1-1 and one with the Carolina Panthers, who are 2-0 and oh, coming into Space City. Carolina looked very good in their win over the New Orleans Saints. And that Panther defense, which has gotten tons of sacks over the first two games, they had six week one against the New York Jets. And I don't remember what the count was Sunday, but they had several in their big victory over the New Orleans Saints. They're going to go after Davis Mills big time. And the Panther defense alone ought to be able to justify a win on the road, their first road game of the year, when the Panthers and the Texans get together Thursday night. We will continue on. When we come back, we have got an ACC report as we'll keep more college sports news coming. We've got Manny Diaz audio, the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. He's trying to make sense out of what happened to his team, which is now one and two 
on the year, and they barely got the one victory. We'll have that plus more Clemson Tiger news coming up as part of our ACC update, and that is up next. are the y'all show time now here to talk a little acc sports and the louisville cardinals were the in my opinion best team in the acc this past weekend as the cardinals on that friday night got a big i mean thrilling win with a walk-off pick six 42 35 over a very good ucf knights team that was the friday night game Then on Saturday, Clemson barely escaped a very embarrassing loss at home to Georgia Tech, winning 14-8. West Virginia took care of ACC member Virginia Tech 27-21. It was the North Carolina Tar Heels destroying the Virginia Cavaliers in their rivalry game 59-39. You had Pitt losing a game at home to Western Michigan. Syracuse able to take care of FCS member Albany. Boston College won on the road at Temple. Wake Forest sent the Seminoles of FSU to 0-3, Wake winning 35-14. The Deeks are now 3-0. Duke, they got a good win at home, 30-23 over the Brainiacs from Evanston as they beat Northwestern. And NC State easy over the Furman Paladins in Raleigh, 45-7. You also had the Miami Hurricanes. The Canes had Michigan State in Miami Gardens, and the Spartans dominated, especially in the fourth quarter. 38-17, the Big Ten program comes to ACC territory and gets a victory. Now, Miami Hurricanes quarterback Derek King is meeting with doctors today to have his shoulder injury evaluated. He is questionable right now going into this weekend's game. Should be a easy win for Miami. They've got Central Connecticut State coming all the way south. For this one, Coach Diaz said that Derek King roughed up pretty good, and it is a tough blow for this team, which fell out of the top 25 for the first time this year after they sunk to one and two on the season. Coach Diaz talked about his team. He talked about what they needed to do when he met with the media on Monday. Here is Miami Hurricanes head coach Manny Diaz. If there's a surprise, it's a surprise that, that that players that miss tackles are players that have been, you know, tackling well. The players that have tackled for a long time, players that drop passes are, are players who have who've been dependable, have had good hands, and 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 made plays like that. Um, it was a game where, you know, very similar to the App State game the week before, where we had a chance to really take control of the game early on, uh, and and did not do that uh, through our own mistakes. And then once you don't do that, then you're going to be in, into a you know dogfight. It was a three-point game uh, going into the fourth quarter, but um, but again, the the turning the ball over four times while while getting zero yourself uh, is just you're not going to have a chance to win the football game. And um, and I and I credit them. You know they 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 stayed after us and and uh, found a way to make the plays at the end. That was Miami Hurricane coach Manny Diaz again talking about his now one and two U team. 
To Clemson we go, and the coaches at Clemson want quarterback DJ Ugalegule to fully commit to the fundamentals as Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, a guy whose name is being circulated about as a possible USC head football coach. Elliott looking for the quarterback from California to clean up numerous parts of his mechanics to be more effective in the passing game. As Elliott said, I think everybody likes the backup quarterback or maybe even the backup offensive coordinator, but it's football and guys are going to have to learn. Clemson got a 14-8 nail-biting victory over their rival from Atlanta. Georgia Tech almost pulled the shocker against number 9, Clemson. Now, Ugalele, whose starting job is not currently in danger, could have had a much better game. He completed 59.3% of his passes for an average of 5.5 yards per throw. But if Clemson wants to get back into the playoff for the thousandth time, it seems much needs to improve with Ugalele and this Dabo Sweeney coached program. Stuart Mandel, SL Mandel on Twitter. He has something that caught my eye. He's got fun fact. Clemson is higher in the AP poll at number nine than it is in the ACC in total offense. (laughs) So talking about DJ Ugalele and Clemson's offense, they're ranked 14th. That is dead last in the Atlantic Coast Conference in terms of offense, and they're number nine in the country in the AP poll. (laughs) So how about that crazy stat? What's on tap with the ACC this weekend? The Demon Deacons will be at Scott Stadium. It's a Friday night contest on ESPN2. It's Virginia hosting Wake Forest. Also, Friday night lights, Syracuse. The the Orange have Hugh Freeze and the Liberty Flames coming into the Carrier Dome Friday evening. On Saturday, interesting ACC v. SEC matchup. And this comes to us from Chestnut Hill. Boston College hosts Missouri in an early kick on ESPN2. New Hampshire's at Pitt early on Saturday. Virginia Tech takes on a Commonwealth opponent, the Richmond Spiders. They claim their web, and they're going to take it to Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. This is an early, or a 12 noon Eastern kick on ACC Network. Central Connecticut State's at Miami. That's a digital-only broadcast from Hard Rock Stadium early on Saturday. Clemson and NC State, they are the mid-afternoon game on ESPN, the Textile Bowl from Carter-Finley Stadium. Florida State's at home. They've got the Louisville Cardinals, and that game at Doak Campbell starts at 3.30, 2.30 Central. It's not basketball, but it ought to be fun. Duke and Kansas on the ACC Network. That game from Wallace Wade Stadium begins at 4 Eastern, 3 o'clock. And the nightcap from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, a neutral site contest there at the home of the Falcons, the 21st-ranked North Carolina Tar Heels and Mac Brown and Sam Howell, too. They've got the ACC nightcap taking on the Atlanta-based Georgia Institute of Technologies. Technology, it's the Yellow Jackets and the Tar Heels kicking off from Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium at 7.30 Eastern time. And that is a quick look at all things ACC here on the show that covers the ACC and the rest of college sports. We're going to put our one in the books when we come back. Got a quick look at some political news across the Southeast as we are the Y'all Show.
Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. She talked to her doctor to get some relief. Turns out Deb had irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBS-C, which was a start. Saying yes to Linzess helped her do her part. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription medicine that treats IBS-C in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than six, and it should not be given to children six to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, Stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Talk to a doctor today. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. Sponsored by Abby and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. We're going to close out hour one with a quick look at some political news making headlines here on this Tuesday. The United States Supreme Court has set December 1st as the date for arguments in a challenge to Roe v. Wade. And all this comes as a result of a law from the state of Mississippi. As Mississippi has had a ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, that is a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. And this ban has been blocked by lower courts because it directly violates Roe's protections for pre-viability abortions. The hearing would come after justices this month allowed Texas to move forward with a near total abortion ban. So abortion back in the news and it's going to be back in front, at least the topic of abortion, in front of the United States Supreme Court as it will take arguments starting December 1st on a ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Also, to Florida we go, and a story out on Politico, Gary Finout has penned this, Florida Republicans have insisted that a contentious new election law that curtails access to ballot boxes was needed to prevent electoral fraud. It was not, they said, an attempt to gain a partisan advantage. But now, according to this Politico article, there are internal emails and text messages obtained by Politico that show the law was drafted with the help of the Republican Party of Florida's top lawyer and that a crackdown on mail-in ballot requests was seen as a way for the Republican Party to erase the edge that Democrats had in mail-in voting during the 2020 election. The law, which some have called Jim Crow 2.0, was passed at the urging of Ron DeSantis, and he signed it into law. But again, there's some questionable things going on in Florida, and one email even says, we cannot make up ground. Trump campaign spent $10 million, could not cut down lead. You'll just have to go read this political article to get more. Again, Florida Republicans worried about 2022 as they have crafted election law and this story up at politico.com. That wraps up hour one. We've got two more hours of the show all about the South headed your way right after this. Get out of here and get me some money too.
It's the second hour of y'all talk about what's going on across the Southland. Here on this show, we got you covered, Alabama. We got you covered, Arkansas. How about Florida, Georgia? Oh, we got Kentucky, big time covered. We got Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, and Missouri. We care about all y'all. And, of course, we've got North Carolina under our careful watch, Oklahoma, and that other Carolina, the one that starts with the word South. We got you covered big time here on the Y'all Show. And both T's, not just sweet tea and unsweet tea, we got the two T's, Tennessee and Texas. We have you in our spotlight each and every day of the Y'all Show. And then, of course, we love our two Virginias, Virginia and West Virginia. That's what we do here on Talk With a Southern Accent. We cover the 16 states of the South, and we try to let you know what's going on. We try to entertain you of what's going on across these great 16 states. John Rawl, I'm the guy that helps bring this to you, and I appreciate you allowing me to have this opportunity. We are found at y'all.com. Our podcasts are found all over the place where you find your favorite podcast. All you got to do is search y'all show and we're right there. Pretty easy. Pretty easy. Let me say it one more time. Very easy <laughs> for you to find the show about the southeast we're smack dab in the middle of this tuesday edition this is hour number two we got to look at headlines from the entertainment world that's coming up in a few moments also we've got some major league baseball thoughts as we will have a southern sports blast coming up in a few and i'm gonna do my best to make sense of the wild card race as each league will have two teams that get a chance to go play in the wild card with only one of each of those two teams, if they win, they get to go on to the divisional series of Major League Baseball's two leagues, American and National League. And I'll bring you up to speed on where we are some two weeks before all these wild card games are going to start. Who do we think will end up punching their wild card ticket? Who is going to win their respective divisions and not have to worry about a wild card That's coming up here in just a few moments. Also, this hour, I'm going to talk about something that's going to probably make a bunch of y'all hungry. It's going to make a lot of you want to go get in the car and go down to your local Hardee's. Hardee's Biscuits. They are delish. And we will be telling you about the number one Hardee's Biscuit maker as part of our Southern Business Spotlight. That is coming up. Also, If I haven't told you, let me remind you, the Y'all Show is powered by y'all.com. And I've got an update on some good content posted at the homepage of the South. That's all coming up here in hour number two. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with the show about the South. You know what? We'd love to hear from you. So don't be bashful. Just bring it on. Let me hear from y'all let's talk entertainment news to start out today's y'all show and it's a little entertainment slash political slash racial information and i'm going to weigh in with my own thoughts here on this so we had the emmy awards 
on Sunday. And now, after a result of a lot of white people winning, and I'm going to go through some of the big winners here in a second, there is a new hashtag trending called Emmys So White. And now people are complaining. Too many white folks won Emmy Awards. And that was not what the Emmy Awards probably wanted to happen because there was diversity all over the place at this year's Emmy Awards. And now this hashtag Emmy So White trending on Twitter after not a single actor of color won in the acting categories despite having a record number of diverse nominees in the 2021 Emmy Awards. People like the late Michael K. Williams shut out for the supporting actor in a drama series. Michael McKella Coel nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress. She's in I May Destroy You. She did not win. And a lot of people who have a whitish skin tone did win. Cedric the Entertainer was actually the host of the show. Two-thirds of the presenters were black or Latino. And MC Light was the announcers. Okay, that's what... I'm telling you what a person tweeted. And they are probably correct on this. I do know that Cedric was the host. I don't know about the breakdown of presenters, but that probably could be accurate that two-thirds were black or Hispanic. And MC Light, I don't know who that is, but evidently that was the announcer. But then you had the winners, and the winners were all white or mostly white. And the hashtag that we're telling you about here, Emmys So White, actually started after the hashtag Oscars So White started in 2015. Because I think that year, every winner of the Oscars was a white person. And so there's been a lot more effort in the entertainment world to be more inclusive outside the winners. This thing was certainly not as inclusive as it could have been from the presenting standpoint, from the other thing standpoint. But let, let me continue on. All right. So let me tell you who the winners were, and then let me get into my personal thoughts on this whole Emmy So White hashtag. The winners of this year's Emmy Awards held Sunday, the 73rd Emmy Awards. Ewan McGregor won for Halston, and that was the outstanding lead actor in a limited series or TV movie. Ewan McGregor won that one. Outstanding lead actress in a limited series or TV movie, Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown. Winner of the supporting actor in a limited series or movie from the Mayor of Easttown, Evan Peters. Supporting actress in a limited series or movie, Julianne Nicholson for Mayor of Easttown. Outstanding lead actor in a comedy series went to Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso. Outstanding lead actress in a comedy series, Gene Smart for Hacks. Outstanding supporting actor in a comedy series, Brett Goldstein for Ted Lasso. Outstanding supporting actress in a comedy series, Hannah Waddingham for Ted Lasso. Outstanding lead actor in a drama series, Josh O'Connor for The Crown. Winner of the Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series went to Olivia Coleman for The Crown. Another Crown winner in the Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, Tobias Menzies, winner of that for The Crown. Another winner to tell you about 
and the Emmys so white. Jillian Anderson, a actress on The Crown, she won for Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Outstanding reality competition series. I'm going to skip past that one because it's going to be a shocker. Outstanding Variety Talk Series winner was last week tonight with John Oliver. Hamilton won Variety Special, Outstanding Limited Series, The Queen's Gambit, Outstanding Comedy Series, Ted Lasso, Outstanding Drama Series was The Crown. And that about wraps it up for the Emmy Awards with with the one that I did not tell you quite yet. But I will. I promise. I will. So let me weigh in on what the hashtag should be. Most of these people I just mentioned, yeah, they're white. Most of these winners are skin tone. You would put them in the white category. Here's my problem. These people, for the most part, they're white, but they're also, they're not American. Most of these winners are from Great Britain, I think. I'm I'm relatively sure, other than Jason Sudeikis. And I don't know where he's from. I don't think, I know he's not from the South. Jason Sudeikis is, well, I stand corrected. Shame on me. He was born in Fairfax, Virginia. But he did grow up in Kansas. I knew he lived in Kansas most of his childhood. But I did not know he was a Virginia-born actor, Jason Sudeikis. Now, other than Jason, most of those names I just read off, I'm fairly certain that they are not even American. And that I'm not too proud of. That I am not a fan of at all. Because I feel that we often, and, and, and I'm being xenophobic would be the word here, I like this country. I like everybody that's American. And sure, I like other people from other countries too, but this is our awards. This is the Emmy Awards. This is right here in the good old U.S. of A. And when you start having all these shows that are essentially set in places like Great Britain, you're going to have British actors and British actresses be in these movies and films and TV shows. And that explains why you have all these people from that they may be white but they're not even american and i'd rather see an american no matter what the skin tone winning an emmy award over some of these other people i know that hurts because yeah like you've had good foreign actors and actresses the sean connery's of the world I'm okay with him not winning an Emmy, <laughs> the late Sean Connery. I am okay with, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, pick, pick whoever you want. But that, to me, is something that should be brought out too. And I don't even know who votes on these things. I mean, if, instead of starting a hashtag trying to bully your way to getting more black people and people of color winners in these kind of award shows who are the people voting i'm not voting i don't want to vote i've seen how some of these big time award shows work and the 
almost strong arm coming from some of the people who help make these things a reality. The in, ca- in cases like this, I guess the networks probably have the ability to strong arm certain voters into voting a actor or or maybe a studio can get in there and do this. I mean, if you get a call, if it's an Apple TV Plus type production, which I think that thing that Jason Sedakis is part of where he's the coach of a soccer team, Ted Lasso, if if Apple calls me up and says, John, we need your vote for Ted Lasso, we need you to make sure he wins over people like Anthony Anderson, who was also nominated in the Outstanding Lead Actor in the Comedy Series for his role in Blackish, and Kenan Thompson, who's in the show Keenan now Keenan black guy he's an American I like him but you know I wouldn't vote for Keenan because I don't think his show is even out yet I don't think I've seen it promoted now Anthony Anderson black has definitely been out for a while also in that same category you had William H Macy a great actor nominated for shameless in that particular Emmy category so yeah it yeah everybody's got maybe an opinion on this i just wanted to point out that instead of making it so much about a racial discrepancy here let's let's bring up that let's say most of these films were set in america they had something to do and that's another thing i get so tired of seeing the thousandth victorian type production something based in great britain that has something to do with the royal family or the victorian time period and we have so many great stories from this country that we have not even touched from a movie or tv show standpoint and do we really need to see another maybe thousandth type royal type movie and or something to do with back in the mid-ages of that part of the world i don't know of a single movie now that i think about it that has to do with our american indian tribes from this part of the world the cherokees the choctaws the chickasaws i have never seen a movie set in let's say the south right around 1800 and the and the theft you might call it of the American Indians land in this part of the world. I have not seen a movie about Oklahoma and how it was set up. And that's just the American Indian story. Most of our stories have to do with American Indians have to do with way out West. Well, American Indians were and still have a presence in the South. And I'd like to see a movie. And maybe there's been a great one that I'm not aware of. If, if you know what it is, 803-816-1170, let me know. But that's the kind of stuff I want to see. And and I don't need to see something from some obscure part of Scotland for the gosh knows how many times. So, yeah, that and, – and when you start filming in places like the South and you have movies that are going to feature local actors and actresses, you're going to have people of color. That is the one thing the South has compared to Great Britain. I think minorities in Great Britain – Blacks are, I think, about 1% of that country's population. I think I'm right on that. 
And we know from right here in the south, in some of our southern states, the black population is hovering between 35 to 40 percent of its population. They are a, if you're black, you are a large population. You are an important population. And you know what? You've been here. You're part of the American story. And speaking of stories, I want to know more about it. And I don't need to see something from Europe again. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. Now, the one category that I told y'all I was going to skip over from Sunday's Emmy Awards, we do have a black winner. It is the Outstanding Reality Competition Series category. And among the nominees, The Amazing Race, Nailed It, Top Chef, The Voice, and your winner of the Emmy Award for Outstanding Reality Competition Series, it's RuPaul's Drag Race. The legendary TV figure becomes the most awarded person of color in the Emmy's history. He has won 11 times. The previous record holder was cinematographer Donald A. Morgan. And now RuPaul, who's getting his 13th season of RuPaul's Drag Race out on TV, he picked up the honor for the best reality competition program. What a great, great feat for this, although California-born, Georgia-raised drag queen actor, model, singer, songwriter, TV personality, and author. RuPaul Andre Charles, who was born in San Diego, later studied performing arts in Atlanta, and then went on to New York City. And RuPaul, who is now 60 years young, has won that many times, and he's he's a household name. You can go just about anywhere and say RuPaul, and you know who you're talking about. You know all about this gal or all about this guy. <laughs> or better yet, you just know about RuPaul. And that, and I wonder if he's got a Twitter account that identifies his pronouns because, you know, to his credit, to her credit, or whatever he is, I'm looking at the bio for RuPaul and. I don't know if they go out of their way to. Um, all right, here's here's actually a, a section on his Wikipedia page. RuPaul is indifferent to which gender-specific pronouns are used to refer to him, and once quipped, "You can call me he, you can call me she, you can call me Regis and Kathy Lee. I don't care, just as long as you call me." He also has played male roles and made public appearances in both male and female drag. And to his credit, to her credit, to RuPaul's credit, they were right there on the forefront of bringing out the drag queen, the, the whatever RuPaul is. And now he is the Emmy Awards most awarded person of color in the history of the Emmys. That's a pretty good feat. Let's talk about somebody who was nominated for an Emmy, did not win, but he did win in Baltimore Sunday. 
and that's because the late actor Michael K. Williams was honored by the NFL's Baltimore Ravens. He, the whistle from The Wire, and the Baltimore Ravens, before they went out on the field to take on the Kansas City Chiefs, they had a rendition of The Farmer in the Dell ringing out at M&T Bank Stadium. And that was to honor the iconic Baltimore character and the late actor who helped bring that Farmer in the Dell to life. The tune was an homage to Michael K. Williams, who starred in this Baltimore set series, The Wire, as Omar Little. Now, he died earlier this month in New York. He was aged 54. But a great little tribute by the Baltimore Ravens football team as they shared a video of the moment when the song began just before the players charged onto the field and the pack crowd cheered when they recognized the whistle. And they put out a tweet said, For Omar. Pretty neat. And even what's better, they took some time to choreograph this thing at the stadium Sunday. And the Ravens, to their credit, they had time to work on this. And then during the game, they had a time to work on the Kansas City Chiefs and in a big upset, I would call it that, since the Ravens went into that game with a loss. They had a tough loss on the previous Monday night to the Las Vegas Raiders in overtime. They backed it up with their choreography. Choreography? Is that a word? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, got the victory. Dramatic win over the Chiefs there in Baltimore. So maybe that's some divine inspiration coming in to Baltimore because of their homage to that great Baltimore figure. We will take a timeout here. And when we come back, we're going to shift over to the Major League Baseball diamond. Speaking of Baltimore, I don't think the folks that follow the Orioles need to be too worried about the postseason. But there are some teams out here in the South that need to be packing their bags and getting ready for possibly a wild card berth. We've got the latest from Major League Baseball and its postseason quest, which is just days away from starting. All that is ahead as part of our Southern Sports Report, and all of that is up on deck. That's what I need to tell you. It's on deck, and it's coming up. It's been tough talking to my doctor about constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. I finally laid all my symptoms out there and how they keep coming back. She said I may have irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. We agreed. It's time to try something different. Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Visit a doctor in person or online. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at linzess.com or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Abby and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. 
It is baseball's crunch time. We're back on the Y'all Show. And we're just two weeks away from Major League Baseball's postseason having its first pitch. John Rawl back here on the show that covers all the bases of the southern sports world. And we've got to tell you, we've got some great little races going on in the final 13 or 12 days or whatever it is before Major League Baseball's postseason truly begins. And a quick look at the standings of MLB. Rays ought to be in good shape as far as the AL East. White Sox definitely are in great shape in the Central. The Strohs and Athletics still have some figuring out to do who wins that particular division. The NL East is really, really nip and tuck. Braves have a, right now, just over a two-game edge over the Phillies. The New York Mets also in the hunt for the NL East title with roughly 12, 13 days left. The Brewers have clinched a postseason berth. They right now enjoy an 11-and-a-half game edge over the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals, though, if you're a Cards fan, there is some life still in the birds. The San Francisco Giants and the L.A. Dodgers are going neck-and-neck to decide who wins the NL West. And if you're a San Diego Padre fan, well, you still have a heartbeat for the postseason as well. So let's tell you about the postseason for Major League Baseball. The way it works is you got your three divisional winners for each league, your East, your Central, and your West. Those three automatically move on to the divisional series. Then you have two wild cards from each league that get a chance to play a one-game wild card game. If you win that game, you move on to the respective league division series. The division series is a best-of-five series, and it starts October 7th. These wild card games, the first one, the AL wild card game, is set for Tuesday, October 5th. The NL wild card game is on Wednesday, October 6th. So we're just days away from the wild card game. And again, if you win your wild card game, you get to advance on to your divisional series for your respective league. Division series, again, best of five starting October 7th. And it will work its way through roughly sometime before October 14th. These should be in the books. Then you have your league championship series. And this now ups it to a best of seven series. That starts with the American League Championship Series October 15th. The NLCS Game 1 is going to be on Saturday, October 16th. A best-of-seven League Championship Series. Then, if you emerge from that victorious, you get to go to the best-of-seven World Series. This year, it ought to be back in the home team of the two teams that are playing last year. You might remember they played the World Series in Arlington, Texas. The World Series first game set for Tuesday, October 26th. So just over a month away, we'll be having our last two teams standing go off in the World Series. So the biggest question now is who are your two teams from each respective league going to be that still have a pulse after the regular season ends, those two teams get to go off and have that wild card game. It's a winner-take-all wild card game again early October. And a look at the American League, 
And if the season were in, in right now, your two teams atop the wild card standing are your Red Sox and Blue Jays, both from the AL East. Yankees would just be missing out on it at this point. Still, with about 12 games roughly for each team left, a lot of work, a lot of things can change. And a just telling you how it is on the wild card, teams that have a realistic chance of the postseason through the wild card berth, Mariners, Athletics, Yankees, Blue Jays, Red Sox. Those are your wild card participants are in the hunt for a wild card as of today. Glancing over at the National League. Now, here we know that either the Giants or Dodgers will win the National League West, and we know that whoever doesn't win the division will get a wild card. That's guaranteed. So right now in the National League, the battle is truly only for who is that one other team that's going to get a chance at postseason life. If you're a National League East team, it looks like the only way eh, – that, that's not true. I mean, some things could really change in the next couple of days. But let me just tell you, if you're the Phillies or Mets, you better get the wild card. If you're the Braves, you better do good enough to make it to the wild card over these last week and a half worth of games. Because right now, the clubhouse leaders for the wild card – that other wild card spot, the Redbirds. St. Louis has the better record as of right now. And all this could change in the last two weeks we got here. The Reds are nipping on the St. Louis Cardinals' heels. The Padres have had a great year. They got a winning record. But unfortunately for the daddies, they're in the same division as the Giants and Dodgers, the two leaders of the National League. The Phillies, who are right now two and a half games out of the Atlanta Braves, they are a few games back in the wild card hunt. And the last team that I would say has a realistic shot of even having a chance to either win their division and or make a wild card run, the New York Metropolitans. They have a losing record, but they could still possibly get that last spot but it would take a miracle the likes of 1969 for the Mets to be able to pull off that kind of success in the 2021 postseason. But yeah, it's essentially Major League's best time of year right now. And a lot of you really get into baseball, Major League Baseball, and we here at the Y'all Show are happy for you. As far as who is on the diamond today and games worth checking out, Maybe this evening, if you have the opportunity. The Rangers are at a team fighting for a spot. The New York Yankees hosting the Rangers. The Phils in that battle in the NL East, they got a winnable game. It's Baltimore coming over for a game in the city of brotherly love. You also have, as far as contending teams, the Cincinnati Reds have the Pittsburgh Pirates coming into the Queen City. And that should be a winnable game if you're a Reds fan. Red Sox and the Mets, that's a great game that affects both teams, the result there. Rays, they're in great shape. Man, what a season Tampa Bay has put together as they're trying to get back to the World Series for a second straight year. Rays and Toronto 
together on ESPN in the primetime matchup. Those since those St. Louis Cardinals, they're going to be taking on a team that should be good to go for the postseason. They've already clinched a berth and are just seconds away from winning the AL Central, the rather National League Central. Red, the Redbirds and the Milwaukee Brewers, your primetime matchup from Milwaukee. The team that's done quite well this year, Dodgers, they're at Colorado. Houston Astros at the Angels. Atlanta Braves will be at Arizona. That hopefully will be, for Atlanta fans, a winnable game. But they can't beat, it seems like the Braves can't beat the Arizona Diamondbacks there in Cobb County for some crazy reason. The Seattle Mariners will be down in Oakland on this Tuesday evening. And lastly, those two teams from the NL West battling on FS1 in a primetime matchup, the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres. And another quick reminder of some stuff we talked about, Hour 1, LSU, the Tigers lose defensive end Andre Anthony. He's out for the season with a knee injury. He went down in the Tigers' win over Central Michigan and he, in that first quarter of that Central Michigan win, he recovered a fumble and returned it for a touchdown, a scoop and score, but the sixth-year senior now out for the rest of the year. And that is a tough blow for the Bayou Bengals. We are Y'all Talk with an Accent on the South and Southern Sports. We will continue on with the fun. Stay tuned. When we come back, it's all about biscuits. I've got the perfect song to lead us into our Southern Business Spotlight today. And our biscuits, well, it's none of your biscuits. It's all about Hardy's Biscuits. And it's up next. Again, our Southern Business Spotlight. Stay tuned. By texting 64,000, you agree to receive recurring automated marketing messages from Babbel. Message and data rates may apply. No purchase required. Terms apply. Available at babbel.com slash TNC. Have you tried learning a new language, but it never seems to stick? That's because there's more to language than learning vocab words. Babbel is different. Babbel's multiple ways to learn helps you explore every aspect of a new language. Anytime. Right from your phone or computer. Practice real-life conversations in the Babbel app. ¿Cómo te llamas? ¿Cómo te llamas? Get personalized help from an instructor in Babbel's live online classes. Classes are limited to six people. We keep them small so everyone can get the help and practice they need. Review words and phrases with fun games. Or dive into the culture with short videos. Whatever your learning motivation, Babbel gives you the tools you'll need to explore your new language. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. More ways to explore. More ways to learn. Text Babbel to 64,000 to start learning a new language today. Text Babbel to 64,000. B-A-B-B-E-L to 64,000.
talking to me? <laughs> We're back on the show about the Southeast and that, of course, good Texas girl, Casey Musgraves. You know, I don't know there in her home area of East Texas if they're more of a Hardee's area or are they more Carl's Jr. there in her portion west of Tyler, Texas. That's, that's some heavy-duty lifting I'm going to have to figure out here on the Y'all Show. But did you realize here... How good Hardy's biscuits are. Well, if you don't realize that, you should. And of course, they're going to be good because this Rocky Mount, North Carolina founded company started back in 1960 there in North Carolina, now based in Franklin, Tennessee. Hardy's is yummy. And a lot of y'all love Hardy's breakfast. And in celebration, of Hardy's biscuits being so dang good, we have a winner of the Hardy's biscuit making competition. It's Tony Robinson of Virginia Beats, Virginia. And Tony Robinson, this is his second time winning. My goodness, he works at the 701 Independence Boulevard, Virginia Beach, Virginia location. And he has won his franchisee competition of being Hardy's best biscuit maker. I'm going to play you some of this audio, and then I'm going to come back and tell you some more biscuit facts here as we're bragging on Hardy's, a good Southern business as part of our business spotlight here on the Y'all Show, where we love to tell you about who all's doing good in business. And I'd say, well, at Hardy's, they have things on the rise, especially their biscuits. Again, Tony Robinson of Virginia Beach, your biscuit-making champion. And this is Tony's second time winning. My name is Anthony Robinson, but I go by Tony. I've been making biscuits for eight and a half years. Um, I've been with Hardee's for nine years. We had a banquet, which portrayed the four best biscuit makers from each region, and I happen to be the best biscuit maker out of all the four that were showcased. When I was announced the best biscuit maker, I text my GM, I text my RM, I text my wife, I, te- I, I pretty much sent texts and called everyone, basically everyone at the store. The best biscuit maker, I've been twice, this is the second time, but I've been amongst the uh, four finalists five times, five years. My favorite biscuit is the steak biscuit. I think the secret to making a perfect biscuit to me is following the procedures that have been outlined for the years that we've been doing biscuits and loving what you do. You have to love what you do in order to produce something as wonderful as Artie's made from scratch biscuits. So we judge basically on the height, the weight, and the diameter, and their overall appearance. But it also reaffirms you know, the importance of making the perfect biscuit. Every morning, I come in approximately 4.10, so I'm making biscuits from 4.10 until 11 o'clock in the morning. To make a perfect biscuit, we start with a large mixing bowl. We have our biscuit mix. We have two quarts of buttermilk. We mix that together. And on our table, we have the flour. We roll our biscuit mix out. We cut them with the biscuit cutter, 
We put 12 biscuits on a tray. We put them in the oven for eight minutes. When we bring them out, that perfect biscuit is right there ready to be eaten. <laughs> Isn't that a cool little feature? And we credit Bodie Noel. I believe that is the franchisee of this particular championship biscuit maker, Tony Robinson of Virginia Beach, Virginia. You know what? I'm going to have to cut today's show a little short so I can run down to my local Hardee's and hopefully they're open late and I can get me one of these delicious Hardee's biscuits. Golly, mouth-watering it looks like. And what a great thing that this company is doing by honoring its biscuit makers at Hardee's. Oh, yummy, yummy, yummy. By the way, at Hardee's, some of the great biscuit combinations that Tony can serve up for you. The sausage biscuit, the bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit, a biscuit and sausage gravy. I didn't know they had this. I, I got to get out of here, y'all. I'm sorry. The country ham biscuit. They got a chicken biscuit, a loaded omelet biscuit. I mean, they got biscuits, y'all. They know what they're doing at Hardy's, and they ought to. Let me remind you, this is a Rocky Mount, North Carolina-founded company based in beautiful Williamson County, Tennessee now. Hardy's has over hmm, a little bit of a challenge here on the exact number. I think I'm counting this correctly. They've got over 5,500 locations, it looks like, in America. And they got a fan right here. I usually go by, I, I may have told you, I went by Hardy's for a burger on Monday, and it was rather, rather tasty. I can't do it today. We're out of time. But one of these days, I'm going to help answer the biggest question of the biggest questions ever posed, and that is, what is the difference between Hardee's and Carl's Jr.? And actually, sadly, we're sitting here talking about Hardee's and Carl's Jr., and likely the second most famous spokesperson that this company has ever had just passed away in recent days as Norm McDonald, who was a Hardee's pitch man for a while. He died, and he probably led a lot of people to go check out those Hardee's biscuits. Oh, and you're wondering, well, if Norm McDonald is your second most famous Hardee's pitch man, who in the world would be their first? You got to be a little bit seasoned to remember this, but at one time, at least in portions of the South, Hardee's had fried chicken. And their spokesperson was a guy named Hank Williams Jr. Yep, before he got into the whole Monday night football thing, he was trying to sell you fried chicken from Hardee's. <laughs> and you know what? It was great fried chicken. I don't know why they got out of serving not chicken tenders, but I'm talking about they were trying to go up against KFC. And I thought they did a good job. The old pitch, I still remember it. Are you ready for some real food? Hardee's. <laughs> All right, enough of the free advertising. We'll be back with more. Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. She talked to her doctor to get some relief. Turns out Deb had irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBS-C, which was a start. Saying yes to Linzess helped her do her part. 
Linzess, or linaclotide, is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Talk to a doctor today. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. Sponsored by Abbey and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Hey, we're closing up this second hour of the show about the South. Want to remind you, if you have not done this lately, go check out the homepage of the South. It's y'all.com. And if you go there, you'll find great content about the region. We just posted up a great video. I just had some compliments from what we did from this past weekend as we have the latest episode of Tricks of the Trade. John Allen and Jimmy Duke do a good job covering the South's home improvement request. We have that up there. We've got travel stories. We got food stories. We got something for all y'all at y'all.com. Check it out. It is the South's homepage. When we come back on the show about the South, we will continue on with hour number three. We've got headlines and the 10 best small towns to retire in in the United States. That's all coming up. By texting 64,000, you agree to receive recurring automated marketing messages from Babbel. Message and data rates may apply. No purchase required. Terms apply. Available at babbel.com slash TNC. Have you tried learning a new language, but it never seems to stick? That's because there's more to language than learning vocab words. Babbel is different. Babbel's multiple ways to learn helps you explore every aspect of a new language. Anytime. Right from your phone or computer. Practice real-life conversations in the Babbel app. ¿Cómo te llamas? ¿Cómo te llamas? Get personalized help from an instructor in Babbel's live online classes. Classes are limited to six people. We keep them small so everyone can get the help and practice they need. Review words and phrases with fun games. Or dive into the culture with short videos. Whatever your learning motivation, Babbel gives you the tools you'll need to explore your new language. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. More ways to explore. More ways to learn. Text Babbel to 64000 to start learning a new language today. Text Babbel to 64000. B-A-B-B-E-L to 64000. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The number to reach out to and connect to us here at the show about the Southeast, it is 803-816-1170. That is available for you to text at your own leisure. Would love to get your feedback here on the Y'all Show. John Rawl is my name. I am the general of all things Southern. And this general thanks all of my fellow Southern generals for being on and taking part in the show that is all about the South. <clears throat> generally speaking (laughs) we've got headlines from across dixie that we're going to be getting to in a second plus this hour i know you want to retire if you haven't retired already 
And we've got courtesy of Travel and Leisure Magazine, the 10 best small towns to retire in in the United States. And I'll be walking through the southern collection of cities and towns on that list when we get to that spot here in our number three. We also have Melissa Rhodes. She's filing a southern accent on southern arts and entertainment. We'll have that coming up here as we close out this latest edition of the show about the Southeast. If you want to catch us in podcast form, we are available. And we are available at TuneIn app. We're available at the iHeart app. We're available on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we're right there at y'all.com. Just look for Y'all Show at the top of the homepage of the South, and you'll see the Y'all Show available for you to tune in and catch up with all of the fun that goes on here on this show. We start out our Y'all here, our number three with a look at headlines going on across the southeast. And in our headlines, we will remind you about some of the COVID-19 numbers we told you about in hour number one. And sadly, COVID has now killed as many Americans as the Spanish influenza outbreak of World War One in that 1918-1919 time period. As we are right now hitting 675,000 Americans dead of COVID-19, a.k.a. the China virus. And would you have ever imagined that we would have such a horrible thing happen to this country? And the reality is, and some of the latest articles that I'm reading, you may have seen this as well, just like the Spanish flu, the coronavirus may never entirely disappear from the world. Scientists hope it becomes a mild seasonal bug as human immunity strengthens through vaccination and repeated infection. That's going to take a little time. Right now, we have, unfortunately, this Delta variant that's just killed so many people. A researcher at Emory University, Rustam Antia, says, we hope it will be like getting a cold, but there's no guarantee. Boy, if only it could be like that. While Delta is leading a big surge in infections across the country, deaths now running at over 1,900 a day here in this country. That's the highest level we've seen in about seven months. And now death toll has now topped 675,000 here in this country. That, according to the count kept by Baltimore's own Johns Hopkins University. Some think that number is actually higher than 675,000 people. The 1918-1919 influenza outbreak, the Spanish flu, it killed 50 million victims around the world. But that number here in the country, in this country, was right around 675,000. Now COVID-19 has surpassed the 1918-1919 Spanish flu. Tough, tough goings. Good story out. COVID-19, a vaccine for kids age 5 to 11, looks like it's in the work, courtesy of Pfizer. As on Monday, Pfizer said that their COVID-19 vaccine does work for children ages 5 to 11. 
and it's seeking authorization from the federal government for this age group soon. That would help toward beginning vaccinations for all of these kids ages 11 down to 5. The vaccine made by Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech is already available for anyone 12 and older, but with kids going back to school and this very contagious Delta variant going on, parents are very anxious and very anxiously awaiting vaccinations for those 11-year-olds down to 5-year-olds. We hope it's available and available soon, so that remedy will be out there for the little kids and some would say perhaps our most vulnerable, the younger kids now that so many of the older folks have either maybe had the virus, they've got some immunity perhaps, they've had the chance to get the vaccinations, and it's only the little kids who have not had a chance to have any kind of vaccination, at least until now. How about this story coming from Louisiana, but it's got to do with a really good Oki. A member of the Oklahoma National Guard has gone above and beyond as she's donated her breast milk to a Louisiana baby suffering after Hurricane Ida has come through that state. And what a story for Oklahoma Air National Guard Staff Sergeant Macy Weingarner. She is an air transportation NCO with the 137th Special Operations Wing, and she's one of nearly 500 Air and National Guardsmen providing emergency relief to the citizens of Louisiana in the weeks after Hurricane Ida. This was her first temporary assignment during a state of emergency, and she gave, since she gave birth herself just six months ago, and she wasn't going to let her need to pump her milk stop her from assisting those in need. So Weingarner knew there had to be a way to not let the milk go to waste and for someone to be able to use it, especially after a natural disaster. (laughs) Um, That is one thing. Having females in your armed forces can come through. That's an advantage they have over the fellas, for sure. Weingarner had heard from my grandmother who said her granddaughter was in need of milk. And Staff Sergeant Weingarner's leadership within the 137th Special Operations Wing was able to assist in chilling the milk and donated nearly 120 ounces. Again, this is a native Oki. She's from Mustang, Oklahoma. And she helped out someone in Louisiana. She gave her own breast milk to help out a child in, in, in bad situation there in that part of Louisiana. How about a story again of a, a National Guardsman, this from the Air National Guard from Oklahoma, coming through by donating her milk to a Louisiana baby. Thank you for your service. A story out of North Carolina. This one is a real, mm, don't see this one every day. How about the chairman of the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission? That seems like a pretty big job to have, don't you think? That seems like the kind of job you'd want to go down to the local bar and tell everybody, hey, I'm the head of the uh, ABC (laughs) for my state. Well, it might sound good, but maybe the truth of it is that may not be all it's uh, cracked up to be. A.D. Xander Guy has submitted his resignation to Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina, who appointed him to the chairmanship of the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission in early 
2017. And this Xander, this guy, whose last name is Guy, (laughs) Xander, stepping aside from the alcohol board of North Carolina. And the reason? Maybe he should have been taking some of the product of which he was overseeing and helping him uh, calm down. He's stepping aside because this job that he was appointed to is too much stress on Xander. And this guy was a former mayor of Surf City, North Carolina. He's going to be 73 in in October. And he also, according to a story, he had two friends and an uncle die of COVID-19 in the last three months. He's also had liquor supply problems to deal with. Also, North Carolina had a rollout of new computerized inventory and ordering software, and that added stress. Guy told media outlets in North Carolina, when you can't sleep at night and you're worrying about things that you can't control, it's time to readjust. I'm done. Governor Cooper Monday thanked Xander Guy for his service on the ABC of North Carolina. Guy's three-sentence resignation letter provided by the governor's office didn't go into specifics. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that's I know everybody's having some tough times now, no matter what your age, no matter what your job. We've all known someone who should not have died from COVID-19. We either have known them personally or we know somebody who knows somebody who's died and they should not have died from COVID-19. So in North Carolina, in this case, Xander Guy, the chairman of the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission, he's out of there. Somebody else that can handle the stress of that job can come in and, and take over. And again, if it gets a little bit too stressful, they ought to be able to have the connections to go get them some good stuff to keep the stress down. Now, one person who had so much stress they had a heart attack ended up using the heart attack as a, I guess, divine adjustment. And this comes to us from South Carolina as Robert Hofer. He is from Piedmont, South Carolina. He is the creator of Carolina Bob's Grilling. And Mr. Hofler, has created a no-salt barbecue rub. It's got a kind of a kick of cumin in there, along with his vinegar-based marinade and a dry rub version with salt. The point is, this South Carolina heart attack survivor has created no-salt barbecue seasoning. Pretty smart idea. And he's got all this in a heart-healthy nutrition guidelines available at Carolina Bob's Grilling. You can find it in upstate South Carolina food line stores. He's got a website, Carolina Bob's, and that's got an S on it, carolinabobsgrilling.com. And who knew that you could make barbecue healthy? He had a heart attack in the spring of 2019. He said it just about took him out. He said most salt-free seasonings that he tried were terrible. I thought there was no way I would be able to enjoy barbecue again. 
God was my inspiration to take my product and take out the salt, putting in all the good stuff like turmeric and garmin, cumin and onion. And now he's back to playing sports and listening to music. And he's back to enjoying some great barbecue. The 63-year-old Hofer said his cardiac physicians with the Prisma Hospital System in Greenville, South Carolina, are now telling patients about his no-salt Carolina Bob's Grilling Dry Rub, especially if they're on a salt-restricted diet. (laughs) Um, Even one doctor, Leon Buffalo Jr., he's an internist in Simpsonville, South Carolina, right beside Greenville, by the way. Dr. Leon Buffalo Jr. said he's been recommending Hofer's Carolina Bob's Grilling No Salt and Low Salt products to his patients for several years. And he said, I've tasted Hofer's products and a number of my patients are using them on everything, not just barbecue. We need to bring this up to our good friend, the barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans, when we get him on the show here pretty soon. Because I wonder if he's aware you can find healthy, heart healthy at least, barbecue seasonings and more. And you got to get them out of South Carolina. (laughs) Moving on with more stories across the Southeast. This is a story that you can only find in a place that's kind of gotten a little wacky in the last couple of years. And that would be Northern Virginia. The cities of Alexandria and Arlington County are going to decide on a five-cent tax. No taxation without representation, right? No. This is a five-cent tax on disposable plastic bags. And these governmental agencies, Arlington County and the city of Alexandria, there in Northern Virginia, are using this tax if it indeed goes forward on the use of disposable plastic bags bags provided by grocery, convenience, convenience, and drugstores. The Arlington County Board will vote on the measure this coming Saturday while the Alexandria City Council holds its first public hearing on the ordinance also on Saturday. If passed, both the Arlington County and Alexandria tax will go into effect on the first day of January 2022. Now, I don't really know what the reason is for a tax. I guess If you are using disposable plastic bags, if you're a grocery store or convenience store or drug store, if you have that available for customers, there's a five-cent tax added on to your bill because you're using these plastic bags. I assume that's how this thing works. Are they only taxing the store for having these things? Is it government overreach? I think Alexandria and Arlington County in Virginia are leaving the citizens of that area holding the disposable bag. I don't like it. I don't like it. Although I'm all about making the world we live in as clean and as pretty and pristine as we possibly can have it. But what are the options? I mean, are we okay going back to paper bags? I mean, there was a time not all that long ago, and that was all you had. I still miss my good old ice cream paper bag thingy. 
You know what I'm talking about if you're ancient. How cool was that little bag that had a little kind of like a paper zipper and you put your ice cream in there? In my case, I think it was usually seal test. And that would be what the ice cream would go into when you'd go down to your local grocery store. That's a great memory. And I don't think I've seen one of those things in a hundred years. <laughs> but it wasn't made out of plastic. And so what is the option? I guess a lot of these places want you to bring in your own little tote bag. And that might be the motivation would be not instead of taxing these businesses, give give the people a, a, a disposable bag when they go in there to the store. I know some places sell them, but this is a great opportunity for a lot of these stores to make money. They can give away these bags and have certain businesses sponsor them. And so that's an, an added revenue stream that they weren't necessarily counting on. Imagine... Let's say Virginia, uh, I'm trying to think of a type of business that would be blowing money on advertising. Oh, okay, well, in that part of the world, it would be probably some kind of political party. (laughs) So could you imagine going to your local mm, Walmart supercenter and your bag given out there that you don't have to pay a single thing for has a big old picture of Joe Biden on the side? And you get to go buy your seal test ice cream and stick it in your tote bag, if you will. Most parts of the South, well, they wouldn't have political stuff. They might have, let's say, in a state like Tennessee where you got all this app gambling you can do, you might have a FanDuel or DraftKings ad on your tote when you go there and they give it to you. And I know the grocery stores would be making a lot of money off those things. I'm giving y'all a great idea, grocery stores. I'm giving you certainly a great idea, all you alcohol stores. There's plenty, plenty of things they could do from a revenue stream, a new revenue stream. So that's the story out of Northern Virginia. Back to talking about the volunteer state. Hey, one of the few things I like, and kind of a little bit of a a little bit of a nerd, although flags are probably definitely more of a nerdy thing that I like more than this item. But I do like my license plates that I've been able to have in my lifetime, and I like kind of keeping track of all of our official state issued general plates for our southern states. One of my goals maybe one day would be to have a wall full of license plates from all of our good southern states i have one of my favorite license plates the original tennessee plate that i had on my azuzu pickup truck when i first moved to the volunteer state in 1993 and i still have that and it's a cool license plate and i've not seen too many tennesseans for whatever reason sticking that plate design up in their bars or restaurants or whatever but it's a really cool license plate because it was so simple essentially the early 90s plate design of tennessee had your tri-star logo right in the middle 
and down below you have your county that you stick on there. And so my plate says Davidson County because I lived in Nashville when I first moved to the Volunteer State. Well, guess what, Tennesseans? Your state is now asking for your vote, not for governor or dog catcher or anything like that in Tennessee. They want you to volunteer your time and vote for a new state license plate design. And they've kind of narrowed it down to four. And this might be the closest thing we've seen since that early 90s design for Tennesseans. By the way, they went from the 93-94 time period design to the bicentennial, T-E-N-N-I-A-L, that had a little image of the state capitol in Nashville on that license plate design. They went to that in the mid to late 90s. It didn't even say Tennessee, I don't think. It just said T-E-N-N. You had to be a, a, a fairly smart person to figure out that that tag was from the state of Tennessee. And then from there, I think Tennessee went to this design they've had for really a long time. I'm really over it. In fact, they screwed it up when they first came out with the current general plate design. The numbers weren't standing out from the background, and they had to fix it. But now the background of the Tennessee license plate has like a scene that you'd see anywhere in middle and or east Tennessee with sort of a mountainous looking. Uh, it's, it's okay. It was really designed, I think, to push the website for Tennessee tourism. Well, Tennessee is looking to change up their license plate. And they have put out this contest of which you can go and choose. Voting for this new Tennessee license plate contest opened Monday, and it runs for just over a week. It closes on Tuesday, September 28th. You've got to go to the following website, tn.gov slash rate dash the dash plates. I don't know if you have to be a Tennessean to vote. I haven't voted but surely to goodness, they're making the votes only for Tennesseans. But we are talking about government here. <laughs> who who the heck knows? But yeah, they have narrowed this thing down to about four plates. As the license plate says, it's redesigned every eight years if funds are approved. I think this last one's been on there a long time. I, I, I can't remember exactly the year that it came Let's see, the new license plate design will replace the current plate that launched in 2006 with modifications. Okay, so I am right. It's been 15 years since Tennessee has had a new license plate. And here's what I'm going blank on. I'm trying to remember what the Tennessee license plate was circa 2003. Let me see if I can jar your memory, all you Tennesseans. But it's also a good memory, maybe, if you're not a Tennessean. I like knowing what my license plates look like because I think they're kind of cool when they look good and when they look terrible, as some states have (laughs) and some states do. I'm trying to think. Georgia's had a really bad go of it lately with their license plate designs, I think. Okay, the license plate for Tennessee going back to the 2002-2003 timeline, it had a colorful green and gold image of Tennessee with a sunburst coming behind the state outline, and it had a white background. Again, rather ugly. 
this was not a good design, Tennessee. And then they got all artsy with this one that's been out there for about 15 years. But you get a chance now to vote on the new Tennessee plate. The four finalists, three of which have the Tennessee tricolor, tri-star design in the middle. And that looks good. But two of the four have a navy blue background, and then the other two have a white background. And one of the cool things, it's kind of a throwback to old, old school Tennessee license plates. They have on this new license plate design as one of the options Tennessee within the outline of the state, but it's the same kind of look you saw on these really old, like 1950s and 1960s Tennessee license plates, which were cut in the shape of Tennessee and went on your car. That's cool. I think that would be hard to do in today's world where most stuff's digitized, but back when they had a lot of prisoners with a lot of free time there at the prisons of the volunteer state, they had some people taking their scissors out and cutting some pretty cool license plate. And I'm pretty sure this was a general plate design issued way back a long time ago in Tennessee. I'm pretty sure one time period of Tennessee history, that plate had not only a design of Tennessee's outline, but it was in a big orange color. And that had to have gone over quite well with the Tennessee Vols fans and likely not so good with the Vanderbilts and the Chattanoogas and the Memphis State University fans that probably did not like Tennessee and still don't like Tennessee. But I do like the fact that they're asking for the good Tennesseans to come in and vote. And again, that website for you to go weigh in on the four finalists for a new state license plate design for the state of Tennessee, go to the website tn.gov slash rate dash the dash plates. You've got until Tuesday, September 28th to cast your vote. Let the people be heard, especially when it comes to their license plates. We'll be right back. i got to go check, make sure my license plate still has a proper sticker on it and I don't get cited by the police for having an out-of-date tag. Then I might be needing one of them beautiful new designs coming from that state of Tennessee. We'll be right back on y'all. Speaking of travel and more, Travel and Leisure's got a new article up, the 10 best small towns to retire to in the country. I'm going to tell you what some of those good southern options are. That's up next as we cruise the South. It's been tough talking to my doctor about constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. I finally laid all my symptoms out there and how they keep coming back. She said I may have irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC. We agreed it's time to try something different. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Visit a doctor in person or online. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at linzess.com or call 1-800-L-I-N-Z-E-S-S. 
Sponsored by Avian Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Just a little bit left here on this Tuesday, y'all. Thank you again for tuning us in. Hey, if you're almost to your golden years, or maybe you're smack dab right in the heart of your golden years, Travel and Leisure Magazine has a very, very helpful article they've just posted. The 10 Best Small Towns to Retire in the United States. Patricia Doherty has authored this. You can read it for yourself at Travel and Leisure as retirees can enjoy the simple joys of life in these quaint towns. And I got to know, where are these small towns that she refers? Are they in the South? Get ready. I got a feeling a lot of these are in Dixie. And you know what? It's kind of an unfortunate thing that I'm going to have to talk about some of them because I'm afraid this travel and leisure article is going to have thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people move into these places and completely ruin them. I hope that's not the case. And sure enough, one of the top small towns to retire in a, in the country, it's Greer, South Carolina. Greer is where they make the BMW SUV. If you've seen the little BMWs in the last 10, 15 years, They are made right there in the upstate, in the quaint town of Greer. Greer, as of 2019, had a population of 33,000. One of the cool things about Greer, it is not only in the South Carolina upstate, it's smack dab in the South Carolina upstate. It is roughly halfway between Greenville and Spartanburg. And it has great access, the airport, G-S-P, I believe is what it's called, Greenville-Spartanburg International Airport, right there in Greer. So that's why Greer, South Carolina, is one of your top cities in America to retire in. Another southern city, another Carolina town, ends up being a great place, according to Travel and Leisure, to retire in. It's Dillsboro in North Carolina. It's located on the banks of the Tuckasegee River, right at the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. They've had, I mean, it's a small place, fewer than 300 residents called Dillsborough Home, but it is an old 19th century railroad town. And it's got great stores, restaurants, gift shops. I've not been, I don't think I have. Let me pull this up. 
here on the Y'all Show with John Rawl. I try to be a Southern expert. And one way you get to be an expert on the South is you, you try to go to the Southern places and the places of the South. And I will be able to truthfully say I have not been everywhere. Hank Snow would not be very happy with me because I have not been everywhere. But I'm hoping to go everywhere. And perhaps I need to start my next outing in Dillsboro, North Carolina. Let me just make sure that I haven't fooled myself and I have not been there at some point. Let's see here. You know what? I don't think I've been there ever, and I sure was close just about two years ago. I had to go to Cullowee. Cullowee is probably 10 miles just down, what is that, River Creek, whatever they got there in that section. It might be the Broad River, North River, could be North River. Dillsboro is right on a great, great, beautiful part of western North Carolina. And I went to Cullowee for a football game, which if you've not been to a Western Carolina football game before, in Cullowee, you're missing out. It's just a beautiful setting, especially if you go there for a mid or late afternoon game and that sun starts setting over the mountains there. It's really cool. By the way, the name of that river that I could not think of is the Oconalufti River. And I may have butchered that. I apologize. I need to brush up on my North Carolina mountain rivers. But Dillsboro is not all that far from Cullowee. It's just to the west of Silva, North Carolina. And I just missed out on going there because I did, as I said, I did go to Cullowee. But I did a little shortcut. And my shortcut was there is a road that goes through... Oh, it goes to Webster. And that's a cool little place, Webster, North Carolina. But there is a North Carolina Highway 116, and it feeds off of US 23 between Greens Creek and Dillsboro. And that's why I probably was only two miles away from Dillsboro when I cut off because I was coming from North Georgia to go to that game. At Dadgummit, I didn't go through Dillsboro. Shame on me. But that is a great little section of the southwestern North Carolina. And Dillsboro is why. And it only has 300 residents. And you don't have to be making shortcuts like I did when you go there. And it's one of the great retirement options. Asheville is only an hour away from Dillsboro. And you've got a pretty big-sized college town in Cullowee just minutes away. That's why it's on this list. Another great town. This one's there in the hill country of Texas, Fredericksburg. It was started by German immigrants. And Fredericksburg, Texas has 100 wineries available for y'all to go enjoy your golden years. They also have a very highly credentialed hospital there, the Hill Country Memorial Hospital. San Antonio and Austin are only about 70 miles from Fredericksburg, Texas. That's why this town shows up on the best small towns to retire in the United States. How about Florida? You know, Florida probably has more retirees than any state. 
on one of the best places to be in the Sunshine State is Cedar Key. And now Cedar Key has less than 10,000 residents and probably going to go up to about a million after I get finished telling you about it. But Cedar Key is perfect for nature lovers. You've got the Cedar Keys National Wildlife Refuge. It also have their farm-raised clams and Florida oysters available all year. And one of the cool things I like about Cedar Key, so when you hear Florida and you hear about a key, you're probably thinking about Key West. You're thinking about way South Florida. Well, if you're a big Southerner like I am, I love the idea of going to Key West, but my goodness, that's a long way away from the most of the South, places like Georgia and Tennessee and good Lord, uh, Texas even would be almost impossible to drive all the way to Key West. The good news is Cedar Key is actually north of Tampa. Cedar Key is essentially due west of Gainesville and Ocala on the Gulf Coast. And that makes it really cool because it's only about an hour over to Gainesville with all the fun things there at the University of Florida. So you can enjoy a great time in your senior years in Cedar Key, Florida. Also on this list, uh, we may be out of southern cities. We are. The other towns that made the list, again, this from Travel and Leisure Magazine, their listing of the best small towns to retire in the United States. Hamilton, Montana. Had not heard of that one. It's on the list. How about Bristol, Vermont? Bristol, Vermont is right there at the foothills of the Green Mountains. Bernie Sanders probably drops by there from time to time. McQuan, Wisconsin. It's got a pretty big population, 24,000. It's on the western coast of Lake Michigan there. McQuan, McQuan, McEwen. <laughs> Not sure how the Wisconsinites pronounce that town. Also in Pennsylvania, you got Stroudsburg. That's in the Pocono Mountain section of the Keystone State. Paso Robles, California, about halfway between San Fran and L.A. Got 30,000 residents. According to this article, it's a great place to retire. And Coolidge, Arizona is the other town that made this list of the 10 best small towns to retire in the United States. Again, the handful of southern cities that Patricia Daughtery has highlighted here in her Travel and Leisure article. You can read it at travelandleisure.com. Greer, South Carolina. Dillsboro, North Carolina. Fredericksburg, Texas. And lastly, Cedar Key on the Gulf Coast side of the, uh, what do they call that area of Florida? The Forgotten Coast, I believe, is what that area is called. So, Good possibilities. You know what? I'm okay with any of those good southern cities and towns to live out my very, hopefully, long golden years. And that's what we all hope for, right? Yep. When the Y'all Show comes back, we're going to be living out the rest of this third hour. We have Melissa Rhodes. She's going to be dropping by with a southern accent on arts and entertainment. And that, Melissa, she's up next.
southern accent. Here's what's entertaining the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. Best-selling author Taylor Jenkins Reid has penned a whole bunch of great reads, including Malibu Rising, Daisy Jones and the Six, and her newest New York Times bestseller, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Born and raised in Ocean City on Maryland's eastern shore, Taylor Jenkins Reid uses real-life inspirations when she sits down to work her magic. With every book, there's always somebody that you can point to that it, that it seems like I'm writing about, right? So right. Daisy Jones seems like it's about Stevie Nicks or Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, especially for people that haven't read it. Seems like it's about Liz Taylor. For this, I think Nina Riva comes closest to somebody like Brooke Shields. I really try very hard to make sure that if I'm inspired by somebody and the most direct inspiration for any of these books was my love of Stevie Nicks wanting to write something, you know, in that vein. Entertainment headlines and more at y'all.com. How about that? This lady has made a career off of her inspiration of Stevie Nicks. Hmm. I wonder what Stevie Nicks has to say about that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, this lady's not even writing music. She's writing books because she was inspired by Stevie Nicks. Well, we hope we are an inspiration to you all because we're talking about you all, as in y'all. And we're going to wrap up talking about you guys when our final segment of this Tuesday y'all show comes your way after this timeout. Stay tuned. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We're back on y'all. You know, I was down in Mississippi the other day, and I meant to bring this story up on the Monday y'all show and completely forgot. I tell you, sometimes the old thinker ain't thinking like it ought to. But I just heard her mention something about washing clothes and more, and it just led me to something I should have brought out again on Monday's y'all show when I was down in Mississippi and up to no good. I had a little, speaking of brain problem, going on, evidently. And I left my cell phone somewhere. And where I first thought I had left it, it wasn't there. And it hit me. I must have left it back in my hotel room. So I go back to my hotel room. And it's probably two hours since I had checked out. I go there. And the room I was staying in, room 222, in case you're keeping score at home, the lady was in my room kind of wrapping up, cleaning it. And so I was able to go in there and she said, no, I haven't found a phone. And and she was telling the truth. It, w- it wasn't in there. But when you don't have a phone in today's world, you're kind of paralyzed. And so I was sitting there thinking, my goodness, I got to come up with a way out of this thing. 
and i had to start thinking okay who in this town do i know that i can call based on my brain remembering their actual telephone number (laughs) and i remembered a blast from the past and i called the number and it was the wrong number and i had to sit there and think oh my god i think i may have reversed the two digits so i think i did call and you know what it wasn't even me calling i asked the lady the lady with housekeeping at the hotel to call that number so i wouldn't have to touch her phone and she wouldn't have to worry about that you know got covid going on and stuff it was actually you know a courtesy thing but she was willing to make a phone call on my behalf and it went straight to voicemail so i don't know if the person called back or not and i'm sure that would have been a weird conversation with the the lady, the housekeeping lady, say, "Yeah, some guy thought he might have left his phone somewhere, and he wanted me to call you." Because the reason I had her call that number is that lady was the person I was trying to get the telephone number for. Was the last person I communicated with before I completely forgot where my phone was. So at least I would have known when I talked to her where I was when I last had my phone. See, kind of a detective, if you will. And it turns out my phone was not, and I hate to admit it here on worldwide radio, my phone was not at the hotel. It was not at the other place I thought it could have been. The only other place I had gone was the post office. And it turns out that my phone had been left at the post office. But here's the kicker. It wasn't left on the counter, and some nice person took it up to the front and said, here you go, somebody left their cell phone. I had actually thrown my wonderful iPhone away because I had it in some trash that I was collecting and wasn't paying attention. And I threw the darn thing away. And luckily, by the time two hours later I went back to the post office, I don't think it had any visitors. My phone was just sitting there at the bottom of the trash can. And I scooped that baby up, and it's still working. And for that, I'm very thankful. But I want to thank, speaking of being thankful, I'm thankful to the housekeeping lady at that hotel, room 222, for just, you know, helping me out. Helping me out in a time of need. And when you don't have a cell phone, you're in a time of need. When you have a lost cell phone, you're definitely in a time of need. Thank goodness I learned a lesson there and not going to go throw away my cell phone anymore. Thank you for listening to the Y'all Show. We hope we haven't thrown away your last three hours. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about what's going on across Southeast. And I bet you some of you have also had some cell phone throwing away incidents in your own life. I hope not, but you probably have. We'll be right back here Wednesday for more of the show all about the South. Thanks for listening to y'all.